morning, everybody. As Shane likes to point out, I'm Elder Dakota. Um, some quick announcements for the day. Uh, we have an annual meeting this uh, on November 12th, so please, members, make a, uh, a priority of staying after for us. Uh, we want to go over some uh, our budget proposal for next year and give you guys a better understanding of what's happening at our church. Uh, this clipboard is going to go around uh, for meal signups for uh, Zoe Taylor and family. Um, she had some issues this week. Um, let's see. Visitors, if you're visiting us, we would love to hear from you. Uh, there is a little sheet in the back of the chairs we'd love for you guys to fill out and let us know what worked well for you what didn't and log in so we kind of know who's here and if there's something we can pray for you for uh, small group leaders if you could please stay after church for a quick meeting um, we sh shouldn't take too long and then if everybody would stand with me for the memory verse see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called children of god and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 1 John 3, 1. Oh, church, I love, love that old hymn in Christ alone, don't you? The amount of truth in one song is sometimes overwhelming to think about. But here in the, in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Amen? All right. Well, hey, church, just a couple of things. I wanted to do a few housekeeping things. If you're new here, my name is Shane. I am pastor here at the church, and what a privilege it is to serve the saints here at First Baptist. Uh, we've got a lot of things coming up here towards the end of the year, and I just want to draw your attention to that budget. Um, I, I would love for us as a congregation, we're calling that November 12th meeting is going to be what we're calling our family meeting. And if you're part of the family, you got to come to the Meeting, that's right. So if you are, please come. If you're a member, come. If you're interested in being a member, come and see how we do business. It's a family meeting. It's important because this budget in particular, there's a couple of things, some big changes that, that I want you all to look at and to pray over and to think about. We're taking some bold steps. We're making some changes that you all need to be um, aware of and on board with. And then next week, next Sunday at the end of service, we're just going to invite, because we know that there are some pretty big changes, we just want to offer an opportunity for you to come and ask questions. Okay, so next Sunday, look the budget over, pray over it, may God bless it, and then um, come next Sunday if you have questions or thoughts or comments um, so that we can make this a part of the family as we step forward in Christ's will for First Baptist. Can we do that, church? Are we a family, church? Do we make family decisions together, church? Okay, good. I was just making sure you're still with me. Okay. Um, so that was annual meeting. Annual meeting is going to be a good time. Come and hang out with us. Um, and I just want to e emphasize again, if you're a small group leader, if you're a small group leader, would you come and, and uh, talk to me after service today? It'll be a really brief meeting, like five, ten minutes. It's a follow-up with a conversation that we started a couple months ago. All right. That's business. Let's talk about the Word of God. Amen? Okay, so we have been in the book of Mark, and the book of Mark has taught us a lot about there's two different ways of thinking. There's a heavenly means of thinking, the heavenly way at looking at the world, and there's an earthly way at looking at the world. And Jesus is trying to delineate between the two for the disciples because there is an urgent 
progression towards the city of Jerusalem where Jesus knows he's going to give his life up on the cross for, for a brutal death and then a resurrection and victory over death. And so Jesus' urgency increases as he begins to walk the disciples towards Jerusalem because he knows his time is shrinking with them. And so he begins to train them urgently. And so out of these conversations, we've gleaned a lot of great things. And if you remember last week, we talked about how Jesus is, is trying to encourage us to keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing, church? Jesus, the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he paid the price for us on that cross that he took upon himself the sin that separated us from God and that that he paid that price which we know the wages of sin is death and so he paid that price through the death on the cross but then he was resurrected on the third day conquering death and then giving us his righteousness by faith and so if you're here and you believe and trust in Jesus the bible tells us the good news is you've been given the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ by faith, not by your works. Man, that is the main thing. And that infiltrates every aspect of our lives. And so today we're going to talk about what it means for the gospel to infiltrate position. Position. So today we're calling it the cost of position. And I got a, uh, that question beforehand was how many of you have been uh, a manager, an overseer, uh, like management, middle management? Maybe you're a boss, you've been a boss before. Anybody just love that position, and you never had to have any hard conversations with anybody? You never had to encourage people to do the right thing who was under your employee? How many of you have been an employee or somebody underneath authority? Everybody should raise their hand right now, right? And how many of you have had to have hard conversations with authorities over you? Anybody there? You ever been called into the principal's office? You ever been called into the boss's office to have that hard conversation and you're dreading it the whole time? Well, I'll never forget when I, a few years ago, I was a case manager at a place called NSI. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a juvenile prep school for kids who got in trouble with the law um, or the society was kind of, they had fallen through the cracks. They would wind up at NSI and it would be our uh, task to rehabilitate, them, rehabilitate them and try to get them restored back to the world. And I'll never forget, um, it was at this time that a kind of significant happened to me in my life, a significant happening happened to me in my life. My wife told me that we were pregnant. It's pretty significant, yes. And then we found out it was twins. And I remember panicking for about two months straight. Ah, twins! That's a two-for-one. What is going on? And, and as I, as I uh, began to think about that, I was like, oh, man, the thing about having twins is that you, like, have to make money to feed them. You have to, like, provide for them, and they're coming in twos. And so as I was, like, kind of beginning to panic, I went to my boss, and I, I asked him. I said, hey, I, I want to interview for a, a higher position. I want to climb the ladder because, I'll, frankly, I need to make more money. I got twins on the way. And I remember I sat down with my boss. His name was Gary. He's an incredibly godly man, one of the rare in the field. And he had this conversation with me, and I was interviewing for a position called quality management. Quality management. Anybody know quality management? That sounds like a painful position right out the gate, right? And I remember Gary looking at me, and he goes, Shane, why are you so motivated to apply for this position? Everything about this position is not you. 
It's not people-oriented. It's task-oriented. It's detail-oriented, and you're a people person. He said, and he knew me as a believer. He was a Christian, too. He said, you're a disciple-maker. And he said, this is not a disciple-making position. He said, why are you so motivated to climb up that positional ladder? And I said, well, man, I got kids on the way. I'm freaking out about this whole trying to provide. Um, Anybody ever been there? I think a lot of us have a lot of different motivations for wanting to climb the ladder of position, don't we? Have you ever wanted more influence? Have you ever at your job wanted to be the manager, and then you get there and you're like, well, this is terrible. Maybe if I went into even higher management, it'll get better, right? <laughs> I'm looking at Janice, and just so you guys know, Janice, she's been there, and she's just like, mm, mm-mm, it's not what it's cracked up to be. But position is sometimes a gift of God. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today where Jesus is trying to teach us this idea of what to do with heavenly given position. That there is this idea that that God gives some favor. And and in fact, all of us, he has a position for all of us in one way or another. Sometimes those are things higher. Sometimes those are things lower. But they're all incredibly important. And he's going to try to illustrate to the disciples what is the cost of having position. What is the cost of having position? It's going to be in the book of Mark. So we're in Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to go ahead and just jump into the passage. and We'll read it and unpack it here. So Mark 10, starting in verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I like that there's laughter already. I don't even have to highlight the fact that you already can tell that James and John are like junior high boys. Because what parent here hasn't had that, like, I'm going to ask you a question, mom and dad, but I want you to give me the answer that I want, right? And so so you just get this picture. James and John, they ask this question, verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) It's like, Let's, let's ask the question first, James and John. And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. In your glory. So I, I want to start as we look at this passage, and we'll continue reading here in just a second. I think a lot of us would read this passage and instantly kind of think or read into it this negative uh, outset that James and John are being just juvenile and immature. How many of you read that kind of a little bit into it, right? But I want you to get, uh, as we look at other Bible passages, did you know it's not wrong to seek position? It's not wrong to try to, to climb some of the ladders of life that we're in. It's a good thing to actually seek position. But how we seek position and why we seek position are very, very, very important. And just like me, when I was trying to climb the the ladder at NSI, my motivation was not to glorify the Lord. It was to make money, right? It was very self-centered. And so for us, seeking position, let's talk about it. It's actually an admirable thing. In fact, we read in different passages like Timothy that it is admirable. If you 1 Timothy 3.1 tells us, and this is the qualifications of overseer, it's talking about positions within the church, uh, within the church, and it says, 1 Timothy 3.1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that word overseer, by the way, you can also say overseer, pastor, elder. The, the, all three of those are the same. They're all wrapped up in that one word, overseer. 
Um, so pastor, overseer, elder. He says, if anyone aspires to that office, he desires a noble task. He desires a noble task. So there is this spirit then that it is good to want to rise up in position. It's okay. Men, I want to give you permission. And women too, I want to give you some permission here. Because there's a lot about Christian culture that, is say, that says that you shouldn't have any ambition. Okay, Have you kind of heard that or felt that pressure? That you shouldn't have any ambition, you shouldn't want to seek position. Well, really, it's not a bad thing. And as we see Jesus deal with James and John, he's not going to make them feel shame for asking the question. Isn't that nice? He's going to just show them that seeking position is admirable, but it needs to be done with the right motivation, with the right motivation. And for them, they're just thinking about the, the position of prestige, right? Jesus, I want to be with you in your glory. Anybody else want to be there? Anybody else like the idea of the position of being with Jesus in his glory? How many of you are not thinking about what it means to have the responsibility of getting there? What did Jesus have to pay for us even to be put into the kingdom of heaven with him? It costs a great cost, right? His life, his ministry, his death on the cross. And so for us, seeking position is something that is admirable, but it means taking on responsibility instead of avoiding it. I think a lot of people today want position without responsibility, don't we? You see that on the internet all the time. Anybody of those armchair opinionators where they want to express and exercise their authority without having the responsibility of the opinions? that they're exposing. So there's a sense that, like James and John, that they're not thinking about the responsibility of what it means to be at the right and the left hand of Jesus on high. And so Jesus is going to start to illustrate this idea of position. And by the way, again, just to affirm this, it's okay to seek position. In fact, I want to encourage you today that you should be seeking some advancement, some growth in your influence in this world. Aspire to grow in your influence, not for yourself, but for the kingdom. Too many times Christians have kind of backed away from more responsibility and backed away from position and kind of hidden their, their heads in the sand. But that doesn't expand the kingdom. That strikes me as fearful. But here, seeking position is, is we should seek. So, um, we should take on more responsibility and not less. <laughs> and I think a lot of us today, the reason that we don't take on responsibility is because our plates feel really full. Anybody ever said that? Your plates feel really full. I used to, as a college pastor, people would tell me that all the time. I'm a really busy pastor. I'm a really busy pastor, especially with college students. And, and I'd say, okay, well, I'd hand everybody out a calendar, and I'd say, okay, I want you to color out your calendar, and I want you with this blue crayon, I want you to mark out everywhere that you're imbibing entertainment. And then I want you to mark out everywhere that you're pouring out your calendar to the Lord. And then I want you to mark everywhere that you're doing responsibilities that are not neither good or nor bad, but they're work responsibilities, responsibilities that you have to take on. And then they would come back to me with that calendar. And the amazing thing was there were a lot of very blue calendars. How many of us is that? The reason our plate is so small is because we've chalked ourselves up. We filled our plates with a lot of junk food and not a lot of good, healthy broccoli. I'm kidding. A lot of good, healthy Jesus, right? A lot of good, healthy Jesus. And so there's this idea that the reason why we are, we are so kind of hesitant to take on more responsibility 
is because we're the most entertained generations ever in the world. You have access to more entertainment in your pocket on screens around you than any other generation. You can endlessly imbibe entertainment. And in all of that to say that, that it keeps you from what? Taking on responsibility. Boy, we see that as a major issue today. I used to, as we did premarital counseling, I, we used to joke, but this always turned out true, we tell the guys that men tend, that men are a lot like pickups. I love the saying. Men are a lot like pickups. A pickup, if you put a heavy load in the back, it drives smoother and straighter, doesn't it? So are men. Men, you hear me? Don't shirk responsibility. Don't avoid responsibility, but step up and put on to yourself the responsibilities of Christ and see what that does to your life. Some of you have way too much spare time, and you're feeling and seeing the consequences of that. And it's keeping you from walking into the positions that God wants you to admire, to aspire. One of the biggest problems of the church today is that we just don't have a lot of people that step up to leadership. We don't have a lot of people that want to do it. One of the hardest things in a church to do is to find elders, is to find women leaders for women's ministries and other ministries, to find people to step up. Why is it so hard to find leaders? Because we have a lot of people that are really good at being consumers, not a lot of people that are willing to take on more responsibility. So it's admirable to take on responsibility, to seek position, to be an influencer for the kingdom ethic. If you have a boss and you walk up, and I always think about this picture as James and John are talking to Jesus. If you have a boss and you walk up and instead of asking for a raise, I dare you to do this. What if you were to walk up to them and ask for more responsibility? And after your boss had a heart attack and picked his jaw up off the ground because he hadn't ever heard that before, he may respond with this idea of putting on you more responsibility. And then with that comes what? Position and influence. But it means, uh, it means faithfulness. Well, Mark 10, 38, Jesus continues as we talk about position. It's important to count the cost. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And I love, again, junior high boys. Yeah, we can do it, Jesus. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. So what is Jesus scratching at here? Here he's trying to get the disciples to count the cost of what it means to follow him. What does it mean to have position? See, the thing about responsibility, even heavenly responsibility, is that it's hard. It's hard. Any of you who have been in a position of leadership or in a position over others and you're responsible for the work or you're responsible, it's hard, isn't it? I always uh, try to teach my kids this, this idea that, that uh, we have the saying, Rosties do hard things. Rosties do hard things because our Lord did a hard thing for us, didn't he? He had the highest position out of anybody, isn't he? He was the son of God. There is no higher position. There's no higher position of honor. And we're going to get to this in a second. But what did Jesus model? What did he show us with that highest position in all the land? He poured it out. But let's consider the cost. Let's consider the cost. Luke 14. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 14, 27 through 33. This idea in Scripture is that when you walk with the Lord, you need to remember that there is a cost, that you will pay a cost. 
When you walk in position, and as we know, we're the children of God, we're the sons and daughters of God, that is position. It says Luke 14, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? I'm going to say that again because it's really important. Count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And then he gives another illustration. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet great, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus in Luke and here in this conversation with James and John is trying to illustrate that responsibility is hard. It comes at a cost. How many of you, when you're sharing the gospel and you're talking about being a Christian, do you warn people? You ever have, you ever have a conversation like that? You're like, are you sure? Well, here, according to this passage, there's kind of a sense that believers, when we're sharing the gospel, we should say, wait, wait a second. I know it sounds all good, but it's not all, all roses here. You need to consider the cost. You're giving your life over to Christ. You're giving your life over to, to Christ. There's a cost. And here's where Jesus tells the disciples, James and John, you don't know what you're asking. See, faithfulness in hardship and in the valley is what this means. Faithfulness to Christ, walking with Him in the good times and in the bad times. When things are going well and when things are going poorly, see, the cost is we walk in faithfulness. That is a hardship. And by the way, the disciples are, and I like that Jesus speaks this over the disciples. He says, you will. You'll understand this someday. You are going to be baptized with my baptism. You are going to face the hardships that I face. And see, many of the disciples, you think about James here, who's a young man at this time. He's probably late teens. We're talking 17-year-old kid, right? And Jesus is having this conversation with a 17-year-old kid. He see, count the cost. You don't know what you're asking. And James, in Acts 12, 1 through 2, we find out what happens to James. What happens to James? He gets killed. He's one of the early martyrs in the church. He's killed by Herod Agrippa. What about John? You know, John was probably the youngest disciple, and uh, John was probably the ripe age of 12 when he started to follow Jesus. So at this point, he's probably, after two or three years of ministries, between the ages of 14 and 15, having this conversation with Jesus. And what happens to John later on in his life? Anybody know? He lives longer than the other disciples, but is it easy for him? Go to the book of Revelation. You know who wrote the book of Revelation? It was that John. And that John was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos while he's writing the book of Revelation as an old man. And tradition tells us that by this point at the Isle of Patmos, John had been tarred and feathered probably twice because of his faith. He'd seen many of his friends and brothers and comrades in Christ killed right in front of him or disappear as he led the church. As he looked around, he was probably the last of the disciples. Can you imagine being the last and looking around and realizing that all your brothers and your friends have died martyr deaths and killings. So the cost of responsibility is hard. Following Jesus and making disciples is a hardship that we ought 
cost the, or count the cost. See, heavenly position comes at a cost, and it did for the disciples. I want you to, to maybe fast forward to today. And I'm just, I'm realizing as I'm going through this passage, I'm realizing how low are the expectations of being a, a Christ follower today. They're extremely low, aren't they? You, can, you could consider yourself a Christian if you just come and you sit down in a pew every Sunday. And it doesn't even have to be every Sunday. Maybe it could be once a Sunday every once in a while. Maybe if you open your Bible maybe once every six months, you can still count yourself a Christian. And I think what, what has tended to happen is that following Christ for us today has come at such a low cost that we tend to think that it has a very low value because we're, we're only willing to pay so little for it. But that's not what Jesus modeled for us in position. When we become a Christian, we're to display to the world, just as the man who sold everything to buy the field that had the treasure in it, that's, that's the, we are to sell everything in our life and pour it out for the treasures in heaven. And so there's this sense that we count the cost. And, and I want to think about today the cost of membership within the church. Now it's so hard. Why is it so hard in churches to get people to come to family meetings to make decisions for the church? Why is it so hard to find elders? Why is it so hard to find leaders in the church and in the ministries, women's ministry and, and youth ministry? And why is that so hard? I think it's because we have a cost issue. We have a value issue, and we haven't counted the cost. For membership, when I think about membership in a church, I think there's a physical cost, isn't there? We take care of one another, and we take care of one another's belongings. There's a spiritual aspect of the cost of membership. When you come and you join a church, you need to be a disciple maker. It means that you don't just come for you. When you come to church, what, what's the cost of membership? When you're a part of the family, what do you do? We do what our, our big brother Jesus told us to do, and that's make disciples. And so when you come to church, hopefully you're not just here to receive some new awesome truth that you're going to file back and never use, but maybe you're here and you're looking around at these people. Take a second, look around. Make it really awkward. But just maybe you're here to invest in them and to make disciples out of them. Maybe that's the cost of membership when we come here. Maybe it's not just, that, hey, let's come to this big meeting on Sunday. Maybe it's this week. I'm going to look at so-and-so, and I'm all in on their relationship with Jesus. I'm going to call them today. I'm going to be like, hey, man, how are you doing with Jesus? When's the last time you read your Bible? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Let's go to lunch. Are you discouraged? Did you have a rough conversation with your boss this week? cool, man, I want to sit down with you and I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. Maybe that's the cost of membership. Maybe that's the cost of membership. Some of you have already had membership uh, discussions with me. Um, our process for becoming a member, by the way, is you come, come and talk to me. If you want to be a member of First Baptist, come and talk to me, and then we'll get it to where um, you are going to have an interview with an elder or a couple of elders. And then after we hear your testimony, um, we'll bring you before the church. And the, as a church, we vote, we vote on, hey, come and be a member. We affirm what God is doing in your life. But I want you to caution. If you sat in, me, sat in those meetings with me, I'm going to caution you. I'm going to say, are you sure you want to be a member of First Baptist? Because it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. You're saying, here is the cost that I'm willing to pay, that I will invest in this family. I'm not just going to come and be a consumer. I'm not just going to be a fan that sits in the stands, but I'm going to be on the field with my team. I'm going to be listening to the coach, and I'm going to be working for the kingdom of God in our church. That's what membership. By the way, uh, if you've ever looked at the history of Methodists, this is interesting. At one point, Methodists were this profound denomination, weren't they? Many of you, we've, we've, uh, we've 
heard some of the things that, that the, part of the missions movement globally, Methodists were this growing denomination. And uh, there, some studies are showing us what caused the incredible decline of Methodists. One of it was they parted from some passages of scripture, some of their theology. But there's two traits in the Methodist church. They raised the bar for who can teach, so only a select elite few could teach. And they lowered the bar for who can be a member. They said anybody who comes can be a member. And those two things have caused a many, many, many year decline. So they lowered the bar on membership. If you're here and you're a member and maybe you haven't stepped up to that position of membership in the church, here's your pastor pleading with you. God has called you to a position of membership within this faith family. Now's your time to stop shirking responsibility and to count the cost and to step up. So Mark 10, 40, Jesus continues the conversation, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. For It's for those who it has been prepared. I think this is really important aspect for us is he doesn't look at James and John and say, sorry, buddies, you're disqualified. He doesn't say those positions are out of your reach. What does he say? He said, God has prepared positions. God has prepared positions. You know, he's done that throughout. And we know that God has selected leaders and ordered his church, hasn't he? And we find out that everyone is a part of that order. If you're here and you're drawing breath and you're a believer, it tells us, scriptures tell us that you've been given a gift. You've been given a gift to edify the church. And so if you're here and you have a position within the church, we just maybe don't know what that is yet. What does that also mean? It means no backseat drivers. No backseat drivers. Who We know who's driving the church, right? It's Christ. Jesus is our king. And so there's this sense that all of us then need to stop trying to take the wheel away from Jesus and tell him how the church is going to run. There's no backseat driving. And all of us are part of this order that God has ordered the church. Um, I always think about the testimony of a guy uh, called, uh, his name's Robbie Gallaty. Robbie, Robbie Gallaty, if you look him up, he's got an amazing testimony. He's a profound Bible teacher now and pastor, but he was once a drug addict, and now he's leading hundreds and hundreds and thousands to Christ. He was once a drug addict, but he was turned by the, by the Lord, and, and he began to walk in faithfulness and responsibility, and God put him over more and more. So there's nobody in here that's disqualified from position through Christ. Did you know that? Jesus is your resume. What, and I always talk about this um, when people say, well, Shane, how do you get people invested in ministry? And he said, you know, I'll always tell them in all my years of ministry, the number one aspect for me is not somebody who's talented, is not somebody who's gifted, because they're oftentimes so overbooked and underwilling that I can't even get access to them. You know, give me somebody, I don't care where they're from, I don't care what their background is, they could be homeless. But I know that God can take a willing heart and give them position, and give them responsibility, and give them favor, and change their life in such a way that they can bless the church. So that means all of us, but what's required is a willing heart, is a willing heart, and some space to follow. So God has selected leaders and ordered his church. You're a part of that. Also, there's an encouragement in scripture to submit to your leaders. This is always an awkward one as a, as a pastor to teach, but um, Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, well done, Good and faithful servant. Sorry, wrong passage. Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. 
tells us, this is a prognosis in Scripture, obey your leaders and submit to them. Did you know everybody, everybody in the church should have leaders within the church who oversee them? Did you know I have leaders that I submit to? They're called the elder board. They don't submit to me. I submit to them. And so when we meet, they're, they're like those accountability. So it says, obey your leader and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Elders, I do my best not to make you groan, for that would be of no advantage to you. But do we do that with one another? Do we do that with one another? Or do we rather like to backseat drive and give opinion without taking responsibility? And we have this principle in Scripture that's, so the question would be, okay, Shane, how do I gain position within the church? You're telling me that I need to seek out position in the church. Yeah, I'm telling you that. And it starts with this principle in Scripture. It's called faithful with a little, and you will be put over more. We have a parable of talents, Matthew 25, 14, where Jesus over and over repeats this. Matthew 25, 21 tells us, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So what does that mean for us? If we want to rise the ranks of position within the church, and if that's a good and holy desire, what does that mean? It means we need to be faithful with what God has already entrusted us. For some of you, that's your family. Dads, that means that you got kids that you need to invest in right now. Be faithful with a little before you'll be put over. That's why the, the prescription for elders and deacons is what? To lead the church, you got to be able to lead your family. So be faithful over a little. For some of you, that's maybe yourself in sobriety. Maybe you being faithful in a little is getting sober. And as you get sober, then maybe God will put you over more. But maybe that's where you're starting in your relationship with God, and that's okay. Maybe it's your sobriety. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you need to be, instead of being that guy that shows up late all the time, is either the guy who shows up early and takes responsibility. Maybe being faithful in a little means showing up and putting effort in your job instead of just getting by. Maybe that's the faithful and a little for you. Show up. Maybe some of us in the church means that we need to show up to things like family meetings. Maybe it means that we need to be aware of what's in the budget. Maybe it means that we need to take some responsibility with what's presented before us. Maybe it means some of us need to clean the toilets and take responsibility over those things too. See, when we're faithful over a little, what does God do? He'll put us over more. He'll put us over more. So for you, where, what does it mean today to be faithful in a little so that you can seek position, which is an admirable trait? And there's so much more, guys. We, Corinthians talks about gifting and position in the church. But let's continue on in the interest of time. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Notice Jesus wasn't indignant at James and John. It was who? The other disciples, right? You ever been jealous of somebody who has been given position by God? And you're kind of like, I wish that that were me, right? And I just think it's funny that they're just even mad at these two junior high boys. But you know what? I, I wonder, I always get this a picture of uh, James and John. Where did they hear this kind of seeking for position? I think they got it from the older kids, right? I think they got it from the older kids. I mean, the older disciples that were also seeking position, but they were just indignant that James and John were naive enough to actually ask. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be a servant, 
And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. And then here's the picture, the model for what we do with position. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom. We give his life a ransom for many. So what are we to do if we're to seek out position? What do we do if we get it? We leverage it like Jesus leveraged his position. There is no higher position than king over all creation. And what did he do? He came to serve, not to be served. It was for the kingdom. It was for the kingdom. Jesus is the example of what to do with position. In any position that you get, both in the church and in the world and in your job, what is the goal of your position? It's to leverage it for the kingdom, to leverage it for the gospel. So position is to be leveraged. And I want to I just point out a couple of current events just to connect this to where we're at right now. Anybody, did you get a chance to see Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of House's speech afterwards? Look, I'm not, I'm not going to say Democrat or Republican, wherever you're at. It's pretty cool when a believer gets put into a position of power and she, it preaches the gospel in the house. For me, that's an exciting moment. I get excited when I see believers succeed. Even if they don't agree with, I agree with them on everything, I can say, thank you, Lord, that you're putting believers in positions of authority. May they leverage that authority for the kingdom. That's my prayer for a guy like Mike Johnson. But God calls men to position, to gifting with a call. And there's interesting throughout history, um, I'm going to go into Baptist history, but don't shut out here, okay? Okay? I'm not a history teacher, but this is really cool. Baptists have a unique history, and actually the origin of the statement separation of church and state, you know where those ideas came from? Baptist preachers. Baptist preachers. Let me tell you about a guy named John Leland. He had two contemporaries. He had two really good friends. He was a preacher way back in the day in the 1800s, and John Leland had two contemporary friends. One was James Madison. You ever heard of this guy? And the other guy was Thomas Jefferson. And they were contemporaries, and they were friends. If you know James Madison had a hand in penning what? You're like, Shane, I didn't come for, for quizzing. The Constitution, right? The Constitution. Well, James Madison was running against John Leland. I think it's in Vermont. Is it Vermont? Yeah. And um, guess who had more votes? John Leland had more votes. So he, was, he was a Baptist preacher, had more votes. And they have this discussion John Leland concedes the election to who? James Madison on the basis that he would write in this thing called religious liberty into the Constitution, that he would advocate for religious liberty. Why did Baptists have such that? Well, they came, if you know history of Baptists, we came from, uh, from England and the early Baptists in the U.S., they were called separatist Baptists because there was a recognized religion of the day, the Church of England, and everybody had to pay to what? That one denomination. So if you were a Baptist, your tithing first went to the Church of England. It didn't matter. And so that carried on into the states, and so there was a great deal of persecution. And so early Baptists were big on this idea of separation of church and state, which then has influenced us to today. And we now have kind of a misunderstanding of that statement, don't we? Separation of church and state doesn't mean Make sure that you don't mention Jesus in your politics and how you think about the world. Keep that to yourself. That's not what that means. Separation of church and state just means that the state can't tell you that you're not influenced by your walk and relationship with Jesus. And so we should pray that there would be more 
movers and shakers and believers that would be raised up in our politics. And man, I'll tell you, we need to pray protection over them because that's a hard field to walk in, the leaders of our nation. But also praying that for our city, right? Maybe God's calling a few of you sitting here today to step up and to seek position so that you can leverage position in this city for the name of Christ. We need more people that understand the separation of church and state is the, for the right to be influenced by Jesus and the worldview that he gives you in politics and in how you view the world. In a July 4th, 1802 sermon, Leland, John Leland, bluntly expounded his beliefs about separation of religion and government. Listen to this. Never promote men who seek after a state established a religion. It is a spiritual tyranny. The worst of uh, despotism. It is a turnpike, the way to heaven by human law, in order to establish ministerial gates to collect toll. It converts religion into a principle of the state policy and the gospel into merchandise. Did you hear that? It turns the gospel into merchandise. Anybody ever been called an evangelical voter? That breaks my heart every time I hear that because that word evangelism is for the use of the gospel and of the good news, not for political advantage. The gospel into merchandise. Heaven forbids the bans of marriage between church and state. Their embraces, therefore, must be unlawful. That's one of our early Baptist brothers. So conclusion for us today. Would you seek out responsibility? Would you seek out responsibility? Not just position. Position will come later. When you're faithful in responsibility, God will add more to you later, won't he? But it's okay to seek out more responsibility. I want to hear an amen because there are too many people in this world that are shirking responsibility, God-given responsibility. We need to be people that step up and take on responsibility. We need to count the cost of that responsibility and utilize our position for the gospel. And utilize our positions for the gospel. Wherever you're at, you can utilize your position for the gospel. So small groups, I want to give you this. Where I want you to ask this question. Where am I not stepping up to the position God has called me and why? Where am I not stepping up to the position God has called me and why? What is keeping me? I'm going to have uh, Carol come up, and she's going to play a little bit. All of our elders grab uh, our plates for giving. And I want to give you a time of response. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And would you do business with God and ask him this question? Where has God called me that I have avoided this responsibility of position? Would you pray and consider as Carol plays and as our elders pass around the plates, would you consider what is that position?
So maybe some of you, what this looks like is coming and talking to me about what it means to be a member. Maybe some of you have been a pew sitter for too long and you need to commit to the family. Maybe some of you need to commit, like I said, to sobriety. Maybe some of you need to be faithful in that little. What does that look like for you to step in to the responsibility that God has given you? And by the way, when you step and meet God in responsibility, is he going to equip you? Is he going to give you favor? Yeah, you better believe it. When you take on God's responsibility, he goes before you. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Brothers and sisters, let me close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just we pray and offer these givings to you. They are yours because you are King Jesus. You're in charge of this church. And Father God, I pray that as King, you would uh, pick and show and raise up some of the folks here that are called to position that haven't taken responsibility. And then if there are some here who have just kind of gone through Christianity just being a consumer, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would experience you, what it means to walk with you in your faithfulness when it comes to responsibility. Father God, would you bless uh, everybody as they go from here? Would you go before them in those conversations with their bosses and with their employees? God, I pray that the gospel would be the highest and most sought after pursuit in our day-to-day lives. God, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just a reminder, if you're a small group leader, would you come and talk to me afterwards, the rest of you? You're dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. Go and leverage your position for the gospel. Thank you.